It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. How on earth could this have happened? How could one person possibly have wound up dead? All right, story number one. The Alec Baldwin tragedy. Killing somebody on the set, on a movie set in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We don't have all the details, but it is just hard to conceive how Alec Baldwin, obviously accidentally, using a prop gun, shot and killed the cinematographer on this movie, Rust. Her name is Helena Hutchins and injured the director, Joel Souza, who was rushed to a hospital. If it's a prop gun, it's not supposed to be fatal. By definition, a prop gun is supposed to be loaded with blanks. Blanks are not supposed to be able to injure or kill you. Now, who, you know, there's obviously going to be, there is already an investigation underway. No charges have been filed. Baldwin was questioned and released. Who was responsible for the prop? Who, uh, there was one account in the website deadline saying Baldwin didn't know there was any ammunition in there. And this is not the first time this has happened on a Hollywood movie. So you go back to 1984, there was an onset death caused by a gun firing blanks. Uh, the actor John Eric Hexum accidentally shot himself in the head with a gun loaded with blanks. In 1993, Brandon Lee, he's the son of the martial arts guy Bruce Lee, died after a piece of a slug was lodged in his spine from a prop gun fired on the set of a movie called The Crow by another actor. Both were ruled to be accidents. So you're filming a Western. There were guns involved. You would think that safety would be the absolute paramount concern. I mean, I, it's just, just heartbreaking. Now, I confess when I first heard about this, you know, for a fleeting half second, I thought, oh, you know, did Baldwin, was he a hothead? Did he get into a fight with somebody? Before I even knew that a prop gun was involved. But according to reports, you know, he was crying. He was devastated. Everybody is devastated. The movie said it has been locked down. And then, ironically, the plot of this Western, on which Baldwin is a producer as well as the lead actor, so this is his movie. Uh, he plays an outlaw who has a bounty on his head, and he has a 13-year-old grandson who's convicted of an accidental murder and sentenced to hang. And then something like this happens. And, you know, they'd all been, obviously, the, the, the various um, actors and actresses and crew members or cast members had posted photos of what a good time they were having. And just yesterday morning, Alec Baldwin posted a photo on Instagram showing him in his film costume, including what looked like a prosthetic wound on his torso. So obviously, you know, when you Western, somebody gets shot, you have fake blood. And all of that. Oh, production has been halted. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm almost speechless over this. You know, forget about Baldwin. What an absolute tragedy for this 42-year-old director of photography, Helena Hutchins, not to mention Joel Souza, his 48, with a prop. How does a movie even get made with something that has anything resembling ammunition in it? Given all of the Westerns, all of the violent movies that have been made over the years, uh, 
they still haven't figured out how to protect people from this sort of horrific accident? Uh, and by the way, the people who are going on Twitter and think they're being clever about this, uh, oh, Donald Trump should play Alec Baldwin on SNL. We haven't heard from Trump yet, but we'll see if he puts out a snarky statement. Um, you know, it's not funny. It's not a punchline. It really sucks. All right. I had to leave with this because um, it's just so shocking that in 2021 that this could happen. I'll take a pause here to welcome you all to the podcast. Uh, on this Friday, hope you have a good weekend plan. We are making changes to Media Buzz, which airs Sunday morning, 11 Eastern. Uh, Neil Cavuto will be among my guests, Fox News veteran and host Neil Cavuto, I mentioned on the podcast yesterday or a couple days ago, uh, has put out a statement saying he has come down with COVID-19. He was fully vaccinated. He appears to be doing well. And there's a lot of concern among his friends and colleagues and loved ones because Cavuto, for years and years, has battled multiple sclerosis. He um, is a cancer survivor. He had open heart surgery five years ago. And this will be his first interview uh, since coming down with COVID-19. And he's going to have something to say about essentially how he would has said that he feels that if he had not been vaccinated, given his multiple medical conditions, this would turn out far worse. A little bit more on the vaccination business a little later in the podcast. All right, let's get to politics story number two. Um, President Biden, CNN town hall meeting last night, hosted by Anderson Cooper. Um, this is his third town hall with, uh, as president. All of them with CNN. It's his go-to. One other with Cooper, one other with Don Lemon. Yeah, that was a real grilling. And I have a lot to say about this, but let me first talk about what the president, what, what little news he made. He didn't make much news. First of all, I do have to say, although we took a shot at Fox, we'll talk about that too. Um, Joe Biden is very good at this, in this sense. He's long-winded. He tells stories. Sometimes he loses his place. I'm not denying any of that. And in the final half hour, you could see he'd gotten tired and started to stumble more. He was saying billion instead of trillion and that sort of thing. But, you know, when it comes to ordinary people in the audience asking questions, you know, he's good at connecting. Uh, he has a lot of empathy. Um, so much of it was about process, especially in the first 35 minutes having to do with big spending bills. And it went on even beyond that initial half hour. So the New York Times looking for a lead. Well, did, did Biden make any news? And lead is Biden said he was open to ending the Senate filibuster so Democrats could pass the voting rights bill that got blocked again by Republicans. I talked about that yesterday. Raise the federal debt limit, if necessary, and possible, possibly enact other parts of his agenda. Now, it, it's, such a, it's such a speculative thing. Yes, he's open to it. First of all, it's not up to him. It's up to the Senate. Second of all, I, I doubt that Biden, you know, he might make and try to make an exception for one thing, but I don't think he wants to get rid of the filibuster. And third, if that's the hardest news lead that the New York Times could find, it means there wasn't a lot of news made. Uh, so what did the president actually say? Uh, he said that activists who want to end the filibuster to pass the Democrats' voting rights bill make a very good point. We're going to have to move to the point where we fundamentally alter the filibuster. Uh, maybe, sort of. Now, 
There was a lot about the, you know, what was the three and a half trillion dollar bill, now probably going to be less than two trillion dollars. Uh, endless negotiations still endlessly going on. But Biden talked about, it was asked about the things that are coming out of the bill. He says, well, we want to expand Medicare benefits. We want to expand Medicare, but um, this is a reach, says the president, because Joe Manchin, you got to bring him up, Joe Manchin believes Kirsten Sinema believes that that's not a good thing to do. Instead, maybe we're going to provide an $800 voucher for dental work. And Biden kept talking about the math in the Senate. Look, in the United States Senate, when you have 50 Democrats, everyone is the president, said Biden, meaning anyone can blow up a deal. The old phrase used to be it's 100 people, all, each of whom has a nuclear weapon. Um, and so Biden also conceding. You know, we've, we've learned a lot of this from reporting based on White House sources. But here's the president of the United States, who doesn't take questions very often, coming out and saying it. Uh, good possibility that he will not be able to raise the corporate tax rate because of opposition from Kirsten Cinema, or even right here. She says she will not raise a single penny in taxes on the corporate side and or on wealthy people, period, said Biden. And that's where it sort of breaks down. So now we're looking at, I mean, this was, this was a core tenant of what Biden campaigned on. And I don't blame him. He's got the 50-50 Senate. But if he can't raise taxes on anybody, and the Democrats want, you know, it's a it's the fair share argument that Biden often makes, uh, both for people who make more than $400,000 a year and corporations. And he cites a bunch of corporations that have paid zero in taxes perfectly legally under the tax code. If he can't do that, then the Democrats are going to just pass another bill with a bunch of gimmicks that's not going to be paid for at all. And that was the thing they said was going to separate them from the Republicans. You know, they, Republicans pass a big tax cut, they don't fully pay for it. We were going to pay for it. It was going to cost zero. Well, that's BS. Um, now, from my own notes on the town hall, I like Anderson Cooper. I respect Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper, this whole thing was packaged as a chance to help Joe Biden sell his legislation. It just was. I mean, it was practically an in-kind contribution to the DNC. So Cooper starts out, you know, three or four times asking him, are you close to a deal? Are you going to get a deal? When are you going to get a deal? There's no answer on that. Biden doesn't know when he's going to get a deal. I think we're pretty close, you know. It's irrelevant. Okay. Um, he was asked about child care. Oh, you know, the way they selected the questioners, first of them, almost all of them, were Democrats and pro-Biden. It was one or possibly two Republicans and a couple of independents. And so they'd stand up and say things like, I admire you so much. Uh, one uh, African-American stood up and said, you know, you were elected with help from the African-American community, and rightly so. But, you know, it was always like, well, what are you going to do about X? Uh, okay, so child care. There's a guy who said, we want to have more kids. But we're having struggling with the cost of child care. Well, Biden says, I've got two things. Child tax credit. And you won't have to pay more than 7% of your income for the cost of child care. Uh, he was asked if he would support a work requirement uh, for this. He, and the president said, no, you know, if you've got a million dollar trust fund, you shouldn't even be eligible for this. I agree with that. Means testing. Why should we give federal benefits to zillionaires, right? <clears throat> Anderson Cooper, how much time would parents actually get in paid parental leave? Well, said Biden, it's down to four weeks. I had wanted three months. 
But so, so the questions from Cooper, I mean, they were substantive questions, but they were all like, what's in the bill? How much time? What are you going to do about this being cut out of the bill? I mean, just really polite, gentle. You just, I mean, you just could not imagine Anderson Cooper questioning President Trump this way. Anderson Cooper, who, like most at CNN, spent four years denouncing President Trump. Uh, Anderson, Democrats are looking to expand Medicare, dental vision. Will that be included? Biden, that's a reach. So, I mean, it was almost like um, a press conference where you know, your reporters are saying, well, what's in the bill? What are you going to have this? How long will it take to get that? You know, there wasn't a single question, one exception I'll get to in a second, where Anderson challenged the premise of what Biden was doing. Isn't this bill too expensive? Didn't you miscalculate? Why is it taking you so long to do this? Um, shouldn't you have known you couldn't get a $3.5 trillion bill through a 50-50 Senate. None of that. Nothing, nothing challenging his performance in office in any way, shape, or form. Um, a realtor stood up uh, and said, are the wealthy paying their fair share? What percentage is fair? Biden didn't quite answer. And he did the whisper thing. Corporations don't really pay a single red cent, at least some corporations. Um, Anderson. Kirsten said it was opposed to tax hikes for high earners or corporations. How do you pay for it? And that led to the answer I described earlier. Uh, professor stood up and said, you know, I really believe in the provision for free community college. I understand that may be cut. If it's cut, what can you do? Well, we're going to increase Pell Grants. So, you know, all these questioners are screened in advance, and the network knows what they're going to ask. And they all were just asking these sort of informational type questions. Um... I think maybe there was one woman who asked a more aggressive question, and that was it. Otherwise, it was 96 minutes of Biden selling what he's doing. Oh, Anderson, House Democrats are confused about Kirsten Cinema. What is your read on her? I mean, it's like, you know, they were sitting there having coffee. Uh, Biden, by the way, was careful to praise both Manchin and Cinema, calling Cinema smart as the devil, and so forth. All right, what about climate change? You got any backup plans? That came from a student. Small business person wanted to know about help with the supply chain. I mean, this was a tea party. I don't mean the tea party. <laughs> I mean, maybe a coffee clutch would be a better description. Okay. Uh, there was one question that Anderson Cooper asked that was a hard question. And that was, you said when the, in the House battle with Steve Bannon over subpoena, that former Trump aides who are resisting these subpoenas should be prosecuted. And he got the president to admit, the way I said it was not appropriate. I should have chosen my words more wisely. And that's absolutely true, because Biden does. And by all evidence, uh, he says, and he does seem to grant independence in these sort of political cases to the Department of Justice. But Jen Psaki came out and defended it, and it was a mistake. And they should have said it was a mistake right away. So I give Cooper credit for that. And Biden took his obligatory shot at Fox. He said, I turn on Fox to see um, how unpopular I am. I'm at about 3%. And then he took a shot at Fox. He says, you realize they mandate vaccinations. I find that mildly fascinating, the president said. Well, Fox's rule is, and the president must know this by now, if you work at Fox News, you either get a vaccine or you subjected, are, are required to take daily COVID tests. There is that alternative. I happen to think that's a good policy. Um, anyway, now, oh, when you go to the border, well, I haven't, but I've been there. Maybe I'll go in the future. 
not exactly uh, a rough time for the president. And by the way, I mentioned on yesterday's podcast there was a Mother Jones report about Joe Manchin had been having discussions with associates about possibly leaving the Democratic Party and becoming an independent. And Manchin himself, to reporters, said that was bull s, and he spelled it out b u l l. Well, actually, it wasn't, because now it's been reported and confirmed. Uh, that Manchin privately said the following. If I'm an embarrassment to my Democrat colleagues, my caucus, the president being the leader of the Democratic Party, I being a moderate centrist Democrat, if that causes you a problem, I said, please let me know, and I'd switch to being an independent, but I'd still be caucusing with the Democrats. That's the only thing that was ever discussed. No one accepted that. So it was not BS. It was grade A bull. And by the way, you know, they want to vote right away on this reconciliation bill. Manchin also told reporters yesterday it would take weeks. Weeks. He is in no rush. And to give you a, uh, and by the way, on the House contempt thing, the full House voted late yesterday to hold Steve Bannon in criminal contempt of Congress. Nine Republicans joining most Democrats in that vote. Just to give you an idea of the uh, atmosphere up on Capitol Hill, I have a column on Fox today about, you know, it's just gridlock city and nothing passes. Voting rights doesn't pass. Reconciliation talks go on forever. Um, and just how ludicrous it has become. And they bring up bills like voting rights. And they know it's not going to pass. And they do it anyway. It's just all for show. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Liz Cheney got into a back and forth on the House during that Steve Bannon debate. Um... Uh, Cheney was saying, uh, you know, she's a member of that January 6th committee. The committee needs, needs to look into what Bannon knew before the Capitol riot. And Green shouts out, why don't you guys investigate something that matters for the people? And Cheney shot back by saying, Jewish space lasers? I never said that, Liz, Green said. Jewish space lasers has to do with this weird, I mean, truly bizarre conspiracy that Congresswoman Green once did post on Facebook having to do with uh, the Rothschilds and having a lot of money and space lasers. It's getting down and dirty. We're talking about high school toy tower. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, number three on the question of the virus and the vaccines. So as expected yesterday, well, at least we talked about it yesterday, FDA giving approval to the other two booster shots. Booster shots from Johnson & Johnson, booster shots from Moderna, had already approved Pfizer. The FDA says J&J is not as effective and that people can mix and match, as you know. So now people who got J&J may want to get one of the other two. Then I wake up this morning and here's the lead in the New York Times. No joke, as Biden says over and over again. Why does he do that? This is not a joke. I'm not being sarcastic. Like, we know. We get it. Okay, New York Times. In a sweeping victory for the Biden administration, the Centers for Disease Control Prevention on Thursday endorsed booster shots of the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines for tens of millions of Americans. Well, I think that's a great thing. But how is it a victory for the Biden administration? He appoints the head of the CDC. He put Rochelle Walensky in that job. 
I understand the CDC has to have a certain degree of independence and has to make its decisions based on science. But if he doesn't like from a policy point of view what Michelle Walensky is doing, he would fire her tomorrow and put somebody else in who will do what he wants. He would then be accused of meddling and all of that. But, you know, it's a sweeping victory when you get the other party to support something. It's a sweeping victory even when you get your own party to support something on Capitol Hill. That's not a sweeping victory when your own appointee uh, does something. It's just, you know, it's just they just love to praise him. Now, also story about this in the Washington Post, because there's a lot of confusion about who, what, who's eligible, and when. On this question of the boosters, and as you know, it's just been Pfizer up till now, the number of Americans getting coronavirus vaccine boosters is outpacing the number of those getting their first vaccine shots, according to CDC information. Uh, For a week-long period ending this past Tuesday, a daily average of about 340,000 people each day receiving booster shots. Meanwhile, an average of 157,000 people each day receiving their first vaccine shot. So that's a pretty low number. And it points to what the Post described as a vaccination gap among Americans. If you cared enough to go get your shot, then you obviously you believe in vaccines and you want to be up to date. And so you want to go get your booster. So it's what? More than double the number of people just who got Pfizer and who are eligible. It's not even like anybody can get it, at least under the current guidance, right? You got to either have, be immunocompromised or be over 65. Just in that those categories, 340,000 versus 157,000. So I was trying to do the rough math. So 157,000 times seven, don't hold me to this, but it's a bit over a million. Let's see. Yeah, a little over a million. That's pretty low when you consider there are 65 million unvaccinated Americans. I mean, that means in a month, maybe 4 million more will get the shots. And it just shows you how deep the hesitation, the skepticism, the antipathy toward vaccines are among certain members of the population. And we can and have discussed the various reasons why that is. It's not just politics, distrust of government, distrust of science, distrust of the media, you name it. All right, number four. I have a little extra for you here today. So Donald Trump got a lot of publicity for launching his new Truth Social, social media website, and he's going to follow up with a non-woke news streaming service. Uh, It only took a few hours, however, for hackers, or you could call them pranksters, uh, to go into the beta version of this new Trump social media app and post a picture of a defecating pig, which I guess is intended to be insulting to the Donald J. Trump account. I mean, it's stupid, it's juvenile. And, but as a result, even the beta version was taken off. Obviously, they're going to have to figure out ways to prevent hacking, which is easy to do when you're a giant company, maybe not so easy to do when you're a startup. But here's the thing that's come out. So the whole point of this, and the statement by Trump, is it's for free speech. People can say what they want on the new Trump social app. But when you look at the terms and conditions, and a couple of uh, websites have pointed this out, Well, if you're a user, if you sign up for this thing, once it gets going, you can't criticize the site. I mean, here's Trump saying, I created Truth Social and Trump Media something or other group to stand up to the tyranny of big tech. It'll be a place for open, free, and honest global conversation. But if you look at the terms and conditions, there's a lot of things you can't do, including a clause that says users must not disparage, 
tarnish or otherwise harm, in our opinion, us and or the site. They can't even annoy, that's the word, annoy any of the site's employees. Uh, I find that annoying, but we'll see what they work out the kinks. All right, number five, uh, Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, apparently has had a falling out with Newsmax. Uh, earlier had a falling out with Fox News, although the MyPillow commercials are now back on Fox News. So Lindell is saying on his own live streaming site uh, that Newsmax uh, has pulled all of its ads from the Lindell site. So, quote, it's kind of like weird, the MyPillow guy says. I guess it'd be like, you know, advertising on another station. But, you know, that's too bad because for me, this is about saving our country. It's not about any competition with Newsmax or anyone. It's about getting our voices so we can get the word out. Well, if Newsmax is facing litigation and Lindell is facing a lawsuit from Dominion, which, by the way, the entire, you know, the Dominion voting machines were used in connection with Venezuela and Soros to hack and to move Trump votes to Biden. I mean, the whole thing was just a complete and total fantasy. It was pure fiction. You could see maybe why they wouldn't want to advertise on Mike Lindell's site. And finally, uh, extra story for here to you today, number six. You know, it's become a sort of a thing, a cool thing, particularly in magazines, to be contrarian. You know, why Mussolini wasn't so bad? And then you click on it and like, just to find out. And it's, a, you know, it's kind of a gimmick. But this is a more serious one. It's in the Smithsonian Magazine, and it actually has made me stop and think. Because in all, when we all learned growing up about the American Revolution, you know, what was taught to generations and generations of American school kids is King George III was a really bad guy. And the American colonists rightfully revolted against taxation without representation and the Stamp Act and there was the Boston Tea Party and all because uh, the king was unfairly treating the colonists and using it uh, using it as a place to just get a lot of money and the colonists didn't have really their own rights. And look, I saw the play Hamilton and he's a buffoon, right? La, 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 la. So the Smithsonian, this is a serious historical piece saying, well, you know what? King George III has gotten a bun rap. Now this is this not out of the blue. Um, I guess Buckingham Palace has been for several years now releasing more previously... Um, confidential archives about the past, including the 60-year reign of King George. So we've seen that King George, when he was the Prince of Wales in the late 1750s, wrote this really passionate screed against slavery. And he never owned any slaves. And he agreed to legislation back in 1807 abolishing the slave trade in England. By contrast, the author of the Smithsonian piece points out, no fewer than 41 of the 56 signatories to the Declaration of Independence, that would be ours, were slave owners. Okay, point in the king's favor. He was anti-slavery. Uh, our founders, most of them were at least willing to tolerate slavery or, you know, in what is obviously a stain on their reputations. I'm not taking away from the tremendous good for the country, for the world that George Washington accomplished, that Thomas Jefferson accomplished. Um, but they did own slaves, historical fact. All right, so the piece goes on. It was a declaration that established a myth that George III was a tyrant, yet he was the epitome of a constitutional monarch. 
deeply conscientious about the limits of his power. He never vetoed a single act of parliament, all right, but that's in London. Nor did he have any hopes or plans to establish anything approaching tyranny over his American colonies, which were among the freest societies in the world at the time of the revolution. Newspapers were uncensored. There were rarely troops in the streets. The subjects of the 13 colonies enjoyed greater rights and liberties than any comparable European country of the day. Okay, so he's not so much of a tyrant, according to this. Even after George Washington defeated King George in the War of Independence, the king referred to Washington in 1797, that was right after his two terms as president, as the greatest character of the age. And when the king met with John Adams in 1785, he said, I'll be very frank with you, I was the last to consent to the separation between England and the colonies. But the separation having been made and having become inevitable, I have always said and I say now that I would be the first to meet the friendship of the United States as an independent power. Now, in the PBS miniseries John Adams, in which Adams was paid by Paul Giamatti, that, in that exchange, um, Adams, the fictional Adams, was treated very dismissively. But according to the archives, and who knows, maybe this is the British spin. Um, I think historians may argue with some of this, but it just it's interesting as an American citizen to know that there's at least another side, that maybe George was very unfair to the colonies, but is not as much as a tyrant as he was predicted, that he had a better position on slavery than some of our founders, and that he came to recognize and even take a friendly stance, according to these British archives, toward the fledgling United States of America. Well, as I said, media buzz on Sunday morning. Uh, Neil Cavuto, just one of the guests. Uh, I'll also be talking with Megan McCain. Hope you'll have a chance to watch. Hope you have a terrific weekend. We appreciate you subscribe. We're back here Monday with more BuzzFeed. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.